Hey, it's episode number 15 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Thank you for joining us this week as we talk to Anna Picard. She's the head of tone and voice at Slack, and we talk about how writing that is clear, concise, and human can be the bedrock of a great user experience. Let's get right to it. Well, then let me ask you a much more important question. Uh, Where do you come down on the Oxford comma? Oh, you're not going to like it. No one likes it. Why not? Um, Because we are very loose on it. um, And there are good reasons for that. We are, um, I am pro making sense. Use a comma if you really need a comma. um, But don't feel like you need to stick hard and fast to rules. um, Mainly because I find that people uh, trying to adhere too tightly to rules stops them from being able to write freely. And um, if people don't know the rules, I want them to be able to, you know, do it anyway. So. Uh, of course, you'd have some nicely thought out, big picture version of that. That's, that's fine. I wanted to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, um, I don't know if you know this, but I started my career as a journalist. I studied journalism. I worked for a newspaper and a couple magazines. And, and so in my early years, I learned AP style, Associated Press style, right. which doesn't have the Oxford comma. And that was the one rule I always broke because I just... I couldn't get my head around not using it. I, th- I think it's the funniest thing because I grew up in England at a time where um, grammar was thought to be um, just inherent. Like we we should know it because of the way that you know we grew up, and and if we learn the language properly, then then grammar is is just kind of hidden and it will come. Um, and so <laughs> coming to America, I had to. Um, when I started writing for, for various places, I, I, need, I suddenly had to start reading books called Grammar for Grown-Ups and things like that because I had no idea. We didn't break sentences down into, into you know, invective and, and noun and pronoun and make sure that you use this first and never that. I just, I, that wasn't a, a base of knowledge I had. So this has all come quite recently to me and I had, I had literally no idea what the Oxford Common was until I stepped into Slack, uh, I think, two and a half years ago. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, seriously. Like, I, I mean, I... Yeah, it's just not not something that we particularly cared about. I mean, it was definitely Mm -hmm. included Mm -hmm. in. I used to work at the Guardian in London, and you know, when I went back and looked, it was looked it was included in in the style guide, but only as a user comma if you if if you need to if you if if you have to make sense, you know, kind of if you need to take a breath, take a comma. That's that's all you do. So yeah. Oh, that's funny. No, I can still remember like in sixth grade diagramming sentences out into these like. We, have you ever seen the sentence diagrams? Yes, people with, have shown with them the to branches. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's. But how do you learn to love love writing? Like, if you're thinking about it in that kind of detail, how do how do the I, words come? I don't. You, I don't get it. It's maybe uh, this might be a tenuous metaphor, but maybe it's a little like learning to code, right? There's beautiful beauty in the thing that you create. But there's also this sense of, of logical consistency that forms a type of beauty in the syntax and the grammar and the rules and how it all fits together. And I certainly felt that way all through up, up into college as well. You know, still going very deep into linguistics and, and, and grammar and stuff like that. But then also, you know, taking composition courses where we just wrote essays about, you know, painful things in our childhood. So. I think that's a really, I think it's a really American kind of sensibility that I am, I'm kind of learning more about all the time that that whole kind of the beauty is in the rules thing or the beauty is in the, in the statistics or like I, I thought baseball was just a game that you went to, to watch and enjoy oh, kind of like yeah. how it happened. And then I sat down among the peoples with the, with the season tickets and realized that 
that that was only a really small part of the enjoyment. And most of the mm-hmm. enjoyment was stats and stats and more stats. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing. Yep, yeah. Maybe that is a cultural difference. I wasn't aware of that, that being a particularly American thing, but I could see it now for sure. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. Interesting. Anyway. What did you do at The Guardian? Well, I so I started off as a production assistant, um, kind of putting widgets in the right places and making sure every button you clicked went to the right place. We kind of, you know, we worked in a, a pretty rudimentary, I guess, CMS um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. to put the, the website together. So I started there in production and... Um, then I'd already had a blog for a couple of years and it was at this point where media people and, you know, kind of the BBC and The Guardian and others were, were saying, blogging, that's a thing, is it? That's a thing that, that people are doing now with the internet. Interesting. Ooh, you have one of these. Could, would you like to do blogging for us? Um, and so <laughs> I started kind of helping a few of them. Like I helped the, the TV, uh, the art site set up a, a blog just to kind of say this is what's happening and take some of the listings and whatever. Um, and then I quite quickly started live blogging TV and live blogging TV events and this was you know at a point where some people had been doing recaps of TV but we uh, but we already had a, a tradition of of live blogging um cricket and football games kind of you oh, know doing right, a minute right. by minute guide so I started um I think I started with a minute by minute of the royal wedding when Charles married Camilla and it was this three wow. hour um, three hour minute by minute of of the whole thing um, from a from a staunch Republican with a little R. And then I just I yeah, I was I was mainly live blogging TV for a lot of years and uh, deconstructing music videos and and very kind of light pop culture stuff mainly. Is your live blog the the live blog of the royal wedding? Is that still online? I'm oh, gonna yeah. go find it. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, all right. I'm gonna go find it. Put it in the show notes so we can all see. Minute by minute for three hours. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a job. It's it's it, it's been a kind of weird and sprawling career. But yeah, it was that point where, you know, people who had grasped the internet with both hands and made it personal to them, suddenly started getting places in these old institutions who really wanted to understand and get a handle on how and why people were using the internet in this way so um yeah yeah, that was that was a lucky place to be really well and it seems like from my experience in the in the kind of earlier days of the web the people who were successful all sort of had kind of liberal arts backgrounds if Mm -hmm. you know what i mean right like they were in the humanities uh and less so in in technology yeah because they could kind of do anything, even some of the technical parts, because back then it was so simple. I yeah. don't know. Was that your experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I have never been any good at anything technical, basically. Um, but I could run a site on Blogger. You know, I had a, my first mm-hmm. blog was on Blogger, and then we moved to, I can't remember, WordPress, I think. But um, for me, it was more about I had found a way of communicating that that – that was comfortable for me and you know I made many of the friends that I still have now and I actually met my husband through my blog and it was it was a way of kind of a stretching my writing muscles because I had trained as an actress before um Hmm. before I uh before I graduated as an actress and discovered very quickly that I was too shy to actually make that of my career because you know getting up on stage and talking was one thing and I was totally fine with that but actually the small talk and the phoning people and the having to network and stuff I'm I wasn't good at I'm still not good at like that oh the the business of it the business of it the and the, ah. the having to walk into a room and say hey 
I'm the best thing since sliced bread and you want to employ me. I just, I had never, that wasn't in my makeup. And so um, while I was good at the craft of it and I cared deeply about the kind of the theatre as a way of telling stories, I um, I just couldn't do it. So I like blogging was a way of telling stories and that, that, that made sense to me. Um, and so, yes, after finding out I was too shy and then having a bit of a nervous breakdown and running away to... Um, a small island in um, off the west coast of Scotland for a couple of years. I um, I went back to university um, and did a master's in dramaturgy, which kind of goes more into the craft of, of of script writing and how stories get told and how they come to be and all the other things around them that inform um, inform a play or inform a script and and how how the structure works and all that stuff. So that that became my my focus and then of course I abandoned that as well and went into journalism so. oh you went to journalism as well well yeah I guess, well, over at the Guardian yes exactly and, yeah, well uh, the loosest form of journalism <laughs> yes. sure 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 so you know writing is something I wanted to talk about in a kind of a broader sense because you know on this podcast we talk a lot about product development and things like that and and to me it's just it's writing and product development writing and product marketing are just completely inseparable but I see I see writing as this sort of meta skill that anybody can and should have as a almost like a multiplier for any career. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. It's a little bit like public speaking, like getting up and telling people a story and trying to be persuasive or convincing or things like that. These are just skills that they almost doesn't matter what your job is. You will be better at your job if you have them. Yeah, I think that that's definitely true. And I think much so saying, you know, I don't care about the technical aspect. I do care about people kind of thinking about how what they want to say in writing is structured and how, you know, where they're coming into it. So making sure that they're doing the work of of thinking about what it is they're trying to tell people, how they want to take people from one place to to the next place, how how what they're writing is going to work for the people who are reading it and how it how it sounds in their heads. So I think, you know, those things people can get better at all the time. I mean, it's it's absolutely um a practice skill it's a learned skill um you know there are elements I've, I've swung back and forth wildly while trying to um create a style guide of how to write at slack like i i've swung back yeah. and forth from everyone can write to oh wait i said everyone can write and now i'm looking at the things that you've sent me and they, they, they're not very good so i'm gonna have to back off on that a little bit um because everyone can write and and then back back into you know well i can't keep doing everything myself or i can't keep you know doing everything with this tiny team i'm gonna we're gonna have to enable people in some way um and i think yeah, I've landed on everyone can write. I mean, that's the the good thing about the way that a lot of us work, and certainly the way that a lot of us, the way that we work at Slack, is through writing. So we all, you know, flex that muscle every single day. We're all having to um, make ourselves understood quickly and easily in writing, and that is an amazing muscle to be able to 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 work every day. Because the more you work it, the better it gets. So it. In that way, yes, I think everyone can make themselves well understood and and appreciated through writing and, you know, the liberal use of emoji when needed, just to kind of, <laughs> of give yourself a bit, some, bit of tone. That's right. That's right. I still, though, uh, I find it tremendously difficult, the act of writing. There are times when, oh, I don't know, I hear a pitch from, a, from an entrepreneur and I type up my notes and send them to my partners and it's still, that's an act of creation and writing it that stuff that stuff comes comes all right but the 
the, the writing that I would do on my own, like a blog post or, or something like that, I just find it insanely difficult. Mm-hmm. Like literally pushing the cursor from left to right yeah. is, can be the, just the hardest thing. And, the, and I think that has to do with this sort of classic problem in creativity, which is the internal critic. Yeah. Where, where I'm typing this and it sounds terrible. Why does this sound terrible? And now I'm not thinking about what I'm typing anymore. I don't know. You've, I wildly, you struggle with that? Yeah, absolutely. I wildly overcomplicate everything in my head. And yeah. I, my, yeah. my style of writing, um, it's interesting. I was talking to a colleague about this yesterday. And she is the self-editor who writes one sentence and then deletes it and then writes it and then kind of makes sure everything she writes very, very slowly. Whereas I'm the opposite. I kind of put some notes down, go out for a long walk mm-hmm. and then come back and then probably just stare at the notes again. And then, you know, over a few days or after a couple of, or when the deadline is, you know, rushing fast up upon me, <laughs> I will sit down and just word vomit all over the page and just kind of type yeah. everything and everything and everything and everything. Yeah. And, um, and then I'll probably, when I get to the end, I will feel like it's okay, but I'll shut the computer and go, I can't look at it. I can't. I just refuse to look at it. And, and I, I don't want right. to look at it because I feel like it's going to be terrible. Um, and at that point, I'm very lucky that uh, my husband is an editor and a very, very good one and has been editing me for like 15 years. So yeah. um, I'm able to uh, just pass it over to him and say, please, can you can you just look at it and tell me whether it makes sense? And of course, rather than just reading it through and saying, yeah, this makes sense, he'll read it through and kind of strike out huge paragraphs saying, mm. you've gone off on a tangent, this doesn't make sense, this needs to be at the top, which is in- enormously useful. Um, I am someone who desperately needs editing. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think acknowledging that is, um, is the first step to actually, you know, becoming better at writing, knowing that everyone is better when they're edited. Like, that. that's just getting someone even to look over something very briefly and say, oh, the, you lost me at this point is enormously useful. So, so the better you can, the better you are at being edited, the better writer you are. In my mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. There's this famous quote from Ernest Hemingway where he said he would, um, write drunk, but edit sober, I think is how it went, which is yeah. not a scalable solution, but I think it, 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 <laughs> it gets to that that internal critic, like, I think he would just kind of numb it down and pour yeah. the words out and then like sober up and clean yeah. everything up. But yeah, I mean, even if I don't show it to somebody else, it's like you have to, I have to shut the computer, yeah. sleep on it and then wake up the next morning and look at it and go, Hmm, okay, there is good there's, stuff. Here, there's something in here, yeah. but there is also bad stuff. Yeah. 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 No, I remember that from my early days, you know, just a kid at the newspaper and having stuff come back just completely covered in red ink and realizing oh, this is how I get better. This is not about me at all. You know, having to develop, especially mm-hmm. in a newsroom. You know, we were a weekly and not a daily at least, but but that idea of like, get the ego out. You just have to let this, like, we're going to tear it apart and you're going to fix it, you know, so. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I, like, because I'd been blogging for a few years and kind of writing every single day and putting something out, and that was, I never edited myself in, at that point. But... Um, going from there to a newspaper, I, I had to learn to stop being so damn precious very fast. And, yeah. and it was a great education. Um, and now I'm no longer precious about anything. Which is- Yeah, you know, I think uh, uh, it's just occurs to me now that that it probably informed a lot of how I do product reviews, mm. you know, where the, whoever is working on something brings something up in front of the team in a way of being both respectful but brutally honest at the same time which i think when you put those two things together with respect for the person you you get candor out of it you know yeah. and 
And that's perhaps the best thing to move something forward creatively is mm. pe people you trust giving criticism, they know you can hear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. So your job now, you are, I, would, would it be fair My to say you're, resp you're responsible for the voice of Slack? Yes. Right. That would be, I'm, my official title now is Creative De Director of um, Voice and Tone. So oh, kind of that's a great title. floating around and um, working, so I'm officially part of the design team, um, but I work mm. across marketing and the product writers and um, customer experience and our social media and just kind of, and am in the process, which has been a very long process of creating just a a very neat little style guide that helps people understand how to feel like they are sounding like Slack because it's very important to us. It's one of the things that, that really informed our growth at first. You know, there was this, lots of people just liked using Slack and part mm -hmm. of that is the fact that it, you know, it works for them in the way they work and that's that's great. Having a product that works is, is you know, very useful. Um, but also that they they felt it was easy and pleasant to use and that's because of this kind of threaded um the way that the design and words are threaded together and completely um reliant on each other to to kind of hold each other up but also you know they're just part, everything is part of the whole um and and so that's you know uh yeah so i kind of just float around doing voice and telling people <laughs> kind of, you know, and giving things a little bit more um, and, and also helping people, helping to, to work out where are the best places to inject those moments of personality or those mo moments of, of storytelling and how we can, um, you know, where they, where they work and where they don't. Um, because the thing about having a, a brand voice with personality is that it, it can run away from you very fast and um, become enormously off-putting um, yeah. to your users. So, yeah. so it, it makes me enormously happy that you do that as part of the design team. How, how did that sort of come about? Um, well, when I started, I was given the title of editorial director. Um, we didn't have a marketing team yet. We didn't have... It was just me, basically, but that uh -huh. basically meant all the words. Um, so it was mainly that I had to take over doing, um, at that point, Stuart Butterfield did most of the, the tweeting. Um, mm -hmm. So kind of taking over that side of things um, and also starting a blog so that we could release, um, when we did feature releases, we could actually explain them better and um, things like release notes, which um, we put a lot of love into um, for various reasons. So I was doing all those things, um, and then suddenly I was like, you know, someone said, oh, th there are people, there's someone here who does words. Here, here's a bunch of UI copy. And I'm like, oh, I'm not very good at that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do it. I'll try it. Um, oh, here's a bunch of marketing copy. Okay, I will, I will try that too. And so it was doing all these bits. Um, and then a marketing team sprung up um, around me, and uh, I was still kind of building the blog and just working on, on telling our story, telling the story of the product, but always very deeply embedded with, with the product managers and the, the people who were actually building. And then I became part of the marketing team, but it, 
it seemed that the way the things that we needed to do editorially were more in line with marketing in terms of kind of you know telling bigger stories about the sure. the the world of work and how people think about it and and you know commissioning people and talking to partners about how we can distribute that stuff and i was like that's that's not really my strength again it's that shyness thing of like i'm better if my hands are on the keyboard um i'm not great at the other stuff <laughs> and i was managing a small team who were wonderful and are wonderful um and while i liked working with people i i'm never going to be a management type who does budgets and headcounts and mm -hmm. the hard stuff of managing managing is an incredible skill that i just don't have so that was mm -hmm. okay so i was like so we're trying to build um a culture here where you know, you can't, you don't have to go into management to advance. Like, so I slipped from management back into being an individual contributor and looked around at how we were building the company. And it seemed best that I join the product design company uh, department because I'm one of these people who is so threaded through the company that now we are, I mean, we've grown extremely fast and we've, hired all these people who are absolute experts in their particular subject area um which is great and it's wonderful to have those those kind of those straight lines up and down who know just where they're going and how they're going to do it precisely but you need like like when you're weaving you need the warp and the weft together you know mm -hmm. you need those people who kind of like who pull those strands together so um my counterpart on the design side uh, or the the drawing side no if you say i'm words i guess he's drawing um is brandon <laughs> brandon Vaselic, who's uh he he works on the he's the the creative director of of design so we kind of work together very closely um under joshua goldenberg who's our head of product design but it's it it, it means that i i'm part of the design process and as someone who knows and loves and understands not only what goes into our product, but how people receive it, because I spend a lot of time listening to our users on Twitter and talking to people and um, trying to shape the the message with the, the product marketing department to kind of like, how do we tell this story to people about how it's going to work for them? Um, it just made total sense to, to be part of that um, product design process. So in the vernacular of design, that's a really user-centered process. Mm -hmm. In that you are literally communicating with users every day when you're um, and that, now the the number of people who who tweet as Slack is mm -hmm. much larger than you now, I would imagine. Um, yes, but, we. Uh, especially since that's such an avenue for support and comments and and whatnot. But this idea of continuously listening to your users to get a sense of and, and build a sense of empathy for the problems they're going to face or the opportunities that they may not understand yet. Yeah. It's um we have a channel obviously into which every single tweet that is directed at Slack HQ comes into this channel and every every single tweet that we send out every single tweet that we send back, so it's one of those that every couple of hours I'll just go and and read through and check on it. We started doing this quite interesting thing recently where we've always had this wall of love where we put tweets going oh I love Slack Slack's so great. And we realized that that was great and it is fine to have that as part of our website and all that stuff, but we also needed to really balance that out. And we now have another channel called Beef Tweets, um, which is <laughs> where people um, tweet in and they say, why does, why does this thing not do the thing I'm expecting? Why does, you know, why, why can I not leave this particular kind of group? Why can I, how is this good UX? 
Um, and so when we're reading through the Slack HQ channel, we'll drop things into beef tweets. And beef tweets, there's about 200 people in there, um, mainly uh, product managers and um, kind of the, the core of the company or the core of, of people um, who are able to get things done. And so we've started this process again after a couple of years, after a year of kind of really, you know, we, we are concentrating on really big goals as well, but we're also doing this thing of, of trying to fix the little things and, and reapply ourselves to the details. And so we're now kind of turning things around in a couple of days. So a lot of the things that you're seeing going out that say, you know, on the Slack HQ account saying small improvements or little wins, that's just, right. that's us listening very carefully to, to what people are saying and saying, okay, why can't we fix this now? And then fixing it. So and it sounds like uh, the line between product marketing and, and product development is incredibly blurry. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, when, when we were doing Typekit, it seemed very intuitive to me that there would be very little difference between those things. You know, that the people who are responsible for talking about the products should be on the product team and go to the product meetings and understand the decisions behind the way the features were being and participate in all of that so that when it came time to speak publicly about what we built, it was very, very high bandwidth. Like everybody knew already what we were doing because they had been there and, and been there at creation. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's very much the same sensation, except we're able to be a bit more fluid with the, the sense of who's on what team because being in that, you know, being embedded with the product team merely means joining some channels and being part of that conversation and being part of those meetings. Um, and, you know, we are still kind of, our product marketing team are still on, um, uh, together, kind of they're still grouped together, but each of them is is working with a different, you know, their specialism is in core product or in platform or in things. And they will be in those channels all the time, kind of monitoring what's going on and how we're, how we're working to, to get things out. Hmm. Yeah. So the the product you're making is is feeding right back into the you know the product exactly. you're using every day. That's um, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Pingdom. I am so glad to have Pingdom as a sponsor because I've been a user for years. Back when we were building Typekit, we made a promise to our users that the fonts we served for their website would load quickly and not delay their pages. We use Pingdom to monitor all of our services and relied on their notifications when any of our systems were slow or reporting outages. This gave us an instant heads up, allowing us to solve problems before our customers even noticed. And I'll share with you a little secret. We used Pingdom to monitor our competitors as well to see how well they were doing and how we compared. You can start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com presentable. You'll get a 14-day free trial, and when you enter offer code presentable at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a website. They do this by offering powerful and easy to use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website, it'll be a breeze. Pingdom takes care of this by using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. 
These days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and very often include loads of dependencies. These are things like contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, and more. So Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all of these key interactions that people will have with your site. Look, stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages. That's more than 400,000 outages every single day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor the availability and performance. All Pingdom needs is a URL you wish to monitor and they take care of the rest. When Pingdom detects an outage, you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you and your users. You don't want to be caught out when somebody wants to access your site, so you need Pingdom. Check it out today, and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. Go to pingdom.com presentable for a 14-day free trial, and use the code presentable to get 20% off at checkout. Thanks to Pingdom for sponsoring Presentable and supporting Relay FM. So tell me a little bit about this uh, process, I guess, for developing this this tone that you use throughout and and really kind of maintaining and and I guess in a way enforcing it yeah um so I mean obviously you know some of the founders here all of them probably they would probably and yeah Cal and, Cal and, yeah. Yeah. and yeah and Eric um has a really strong part Eric Costello has a really strong part mm -hmm. to play, play in how we sound especially um in terms of the product copy um, because he was doing all the front-end work to start off with, I think. Um, but um, so developing what we sounded like as a company was partly a case of taking the work that that Stuart and um, Eric particularly and the early team um, who had been putting the product together, kind of looking at all that and kind of working out what the what the feeling of it was and how um, how people reacted to it and why. Um, and then, of course, I had to do a lot of work with Stuart in, in, because I'd come from, I'd just been writing for games. I used to write for their game. I used to write for Glitch um, before it uh -huh. failed. And then I went away and wrote some other um, games educational ones mainly but I was I was still and my my personal style is a lot looser and a lot more kind of chatty and I can go on forever um in terms of writing go off on wild tangents and become very obscure um so I needed to work out how to write for for enterprise and how we sounded as a businessy business um <laughs> and the way that we did that was basically Stuart would just send me bits of copy from other sites or marketing materials or whatever and just say we don't sound like this we yep. don't sound like yep. this and we don't sound like that we don't sound like this or and then it became a case of me trying to write things and then sending them to him and going no we don't sound like that we would never we would, we never say this and so it was a case of like taking all these we don't sound likes and then because that's not that's not a way to progress you can't spend your your whole time um telling people oh just you know just try and work it out and i will say no all the time until you find out um it's like saying you know i've hidden three diamonds in the world they're not in your car or in Bhutan, <laughs> but just good luck can bring i'll know them when i find them right. um uh, and uh so i kind of had to turn that into okay all the things he's saying we're not what does that mean we are so if we you know if we're not silly then we are witty and kind of doing this very basic style guide thing of you know this but not that I've kind of progressed from that into kind of our voice is, or the whole notion of voice is knowing who you are, 
knowing why the, why you're speaking and you know what you where that comes from so the shared characteristics um that that comes from so um it's easy to use say our company values so like writing so i say to people all right so whatever you're going to write ask yourself if you're writing with empathy or with courtesy um and what do those things mean like what does it mean to write with empathy it means you know putting yourself in the place of the person that you are that you're speaking to are they angry right now how are they how are you finding them in what mood in what kind of position are they mentally um and how how do you what where do you want them to be emotionally at the end of whatever you're telling them whether it's two words or uh, you know a thousand what's the journey you, you want them to take emotionally courtesy you know the whole thing about courtesy is you know being british i assume that um, courtesy is about couching things in Please, if you wouldn't mind, sorry, um, if I can just for a second, just take, um, if it's not going to take any more. And it's not about that. Like courtesy, and I, this has been my part of my education in, in learning what courtesy means um, in a North American way is courtesy is about doing the work beforehand to, to make sure that whatever you're communicating is as as clear as possible and as and well thought through and that people are not going to have to do the work for you in trying to work out what you mean and then oh, getting great. out yeah. and then getting out of their way like that's it it's literally just saying what you need to say and then getting and often courtesy in writing is about trying to work out whether you need to speak at all do i need a message here do i need a coach mark is it is it something that people are going to work out you know how do we need to write a 500 word blog post about this feature that i can actually that we can sum up in 140 characters because it's that simple right. you know how much time do we we are talking to busy people we show them courtesy by by not wasting their time and so it's and playfulness and craftsmanship which is all about kind of you know drilling into people that whatever they're writing it's representing the work of the whole company because and it's something i say a lot is that you know we because our product is is our culture you know we're selling the culture of working better through working in slack so really we're we're having to kind of show our culture through all of our external communications, no matter how brief or, you know, whether it's a ticket to a, um, an angry customer or, um, you know, a marketing piece for just an in interested party. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it's, it's all about, you know, the, because the, the culture turned inward creates the product and then the culture turned outward creates our brand, creates our, our marketing. And it's, it's all just two sides of the same coin. It's all part oh, of the whole thing. That's a great way to put it. The culture turned inwards is the product and the culture turn outwards is the brand. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And that's, the, and that's why it makes sense for me to kind of sit in the middle and sit in the, in the product area, like, because, you know, kind of marketing is, it, it's not here, but, but traditionally it's kind of thought of as this, like this end point. Okay. We've done all the stuff. Now you go and sell it. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's not, that's not going to work with this because people have to know all the stories that they're trying to tell about about how this how this very complicated but simple product works before that they can they can sell it properly. Right, that's fantastic. Um, so tell me a little some of the mechanics here. You said like for example, every tweet that is written, although written by one person, is worked on by a group. Um, so the the tweets that are going out. Um, like the feature releases or those sorts of things, um, they will mainly now the 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 product marketers will um, 
do a couple of drafts because they've been embedded with the product team and they will they will um, send me a couple of drafts and I'll work on those and um, then we will work closely with uh, a designer, most of whom are up in uh, Vancouver, to make a GIF or an image and right. make sure that we are doing a good balance of being clear. Like, you know, it's good to have character, but if we... Um, if having character means we lose a sense of the content, then then what's the point? You know, the game is lost if, mm-hmm. if we've got too much character. So everything has to be very clear, and that's that's fine. And that's that's why we often have GIFs or um, images, just so that we can have just a little joke or a little kind of something in there that, 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 that people can hang on to and go, oh, I, I got what you meant from the original tweet, but I've got, I also got that, that there, was a little, there was a little gag. Um, in there too um, so it will basically just be um, it's not rocket science and it's not brain surgery and it, it, you know we are we're, we're humble but also confident and kind of like making sure that we sound like hey this is really good without going over the top and saying we're excited to announce another great yeah. product from the Slack right. Corporation um, <laughs> it's you know there's a very fine line but it, it comes easily I think now that, that that particular voice I think the Twitter voice particularly is is a very strong mix of, of Stuart and I um, in terms of tone. If he, if he goes back in the, in the archives and says, did I write this or did you, that's, that's such a win for me because <laughs> I'm like, good, yes, okay. It, now we are, I am, we, I kind of, I've melded that voice enough that you have no idea. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. But I think that's quite a particular tone, knowing when to, when to be confident and when to pull back. Um, yeah. And I have like, we have lots of, guidelines for for product marketing saying you know we never say we're excited to announce because of course we are of course we're excited like it would be ridiculous if we We never say we've been working so hard behind the scenes because no one cares like literally of course you know that that should be their base expectation that we're working fucking hard to make this as good as we can all the time so we don't need to draw them into our story we just need to tell them their story you know it, it it has to be about you know, let's stop talking about us and how excited and how hardworking we are, and let's start talking about you and how what we're doing will make your life, you know, simpler and more pleasant and more productive and all that jazz. You know, it's it's making sure that every story we tell is, is user-focused. One of my favourite things that we worked on recently was this all-unreads state. So there's a, a, pay, a, a view where you can see all, all the unreads you all the unread channels and all the unread DMs and you can just kind of go through them in one view and um, we had got a few mock designs for for the screen the kind of unread state at the end of that and they were beautiful but they were like when I first saw them they were there was a bike leaning against a tree and like a cup of tea and a a set of headphones or something yeah a flower pot and 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 a shovel kind of like and I was like what are we telling people you've you've read everything now your work is done and you can go home. Like now it's no, it's, we have to, like the story we have to tell people is, okay, you've read everything. Now what's next? Now kind right. of like, like, let's get excited about the blank slate that you are, you know, you can move on to, to whatever's next, whatever's new. When people reach that empty state, they are going to tell themselves a story. And the story will either be, oh, I've just cleared out another inbox. Oh, that was just, you know, like, okay, thanks, like, I've, I've managed to, like, do it all, well done me. You know, it, it, you yeah. either get that sense of that's another chore done or you get a reward. And so we ended up with a very a set of very, a large bunch of emoji with just a, 
okay, you're done. You know, okay, okay, that's that. Now what's next? Okay, you know, you're all read up. Here's a picture of a tractor. You know, kind of these these very simple, um, slightly obscure mixture of well done, but you know what this means is your time is yours to now you decide what to do. So it's kind of like finding those points to tell that story and what you want, what story you want your user to be telling themselves when they reach to that point. And I think it's something I've been particularly proud of this year is, is, is being able to, to kind of inject ourselves and go, okay, what is the story here and how can we make it better? I want to ask you about the, the tone that you use when things go wrong. I think there's so much happening around artificial intelligence and, and assistance and Siri and Alexa and, and all that sort of stuff. And people's just overwhelming frustration with the kind of the cute or the, the coy answer when there's a problem and the last thing you want is for a computer talking back to you with that sort of, you know, wink, wink, ha ha. And, and this is something I've always sort of struggled with in in product development, which is, all right, we have an error, things are going to go wrong, and we need to communicate that to the user and try to help them solve this problem. But can we still hold on to some of the lightness and, and some of the personality? So I have this, this dialogue, I took a screenshot just for our conversation here, that, that I got from Slack that said I was having connection trouble. And it mm-hmm. says, we've seen this problem clear up with a restart of Slack, a solution which we suggest to you now only with great regret and self-loathing. Oh, that one's magic. That one, yeah, that was, now, uh, so... that was um, I can talk about that till the cows come home. Um, that's, <laughs> uh, that's by Eric Costello. Um, and it's kind of, it's not a shame. It's one that doesn't really appear very much anymore. Like very, like it's, it's quite a rare one for people to, to, um, to get. I feel but, honored. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about your connection. Um, it's, um, but it is one that people, when they do encounter it, tend to screen grab and put it on Twitter or oh, yeah. do something with it and say, oh, this is charming. I feel charmed. And that, that is, when you think about it, just a remarkable thing to do when the software that they're using for their work has just crapped out on them and they can't continue with their work. You know, rather than be angry, rather than be frustrated, rather than just ignore it and just kind of go, mm-hmm, they, they, they feel charmed and happy and, and want to hold on to that feeling, which is amazing. And I think I've, I've spent a long time dissecting this one particularly and I think okay a thinking about when to use that kind of lightness that kind of humor this is one error that we literally cannot do anything about like there is no way I don't know about the technical stuff but there is no there is nothing we can do on our end to improve that if there would if there was we would be you know open about that and we would be fixing it and we would kind of whatever but there is nothing we can do and so we have to say you know there is nothing we can do about this particular one, which makes it... Uh, so, again, with placement, how often do people experience it? Like, if it's uh, if you're experiencing an error message every half hour, then there should be zip, no human, nothing. Just kind of, like, just get to the point and get out of the way. Because there was one case occasionally when, uh, recently, when one of uh, one of our product writers had put, uh, I think it was drat or rats, in at the beginning of a, an error message... Um, but it was one, and it, we thought it was one that people weren't going to get very much, but then they were getting it multiple times a day. And if you see drat or rats, <laughs> rats, your connections fail. Like the, after the fourth time, I wanted to throw my computer out of the window. So, right. you know, that's, it. it's about frequency. It's about like, so 
Where are they going to see it? How often are they going to see it? How badly is it going to affect what they were trying to do? This is just a quick restart, so it, it that's going to be okay because you know you will see this error message and you know it's a restart. Why do I think it's magic? I think it's magic because it shows empathy, obviously, for the user. It says, you know, you were in the middle of your work and we're sorry that this has happened and we understand that you're frustrated and annoyed. But it also says, we are frustrated and annoyed. Like it gives a, it, 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 it somehow makes them empathize in return with us. They say, you know, we say this kind of, this great regret and self-loathing. They can see that we are people who are trying to do our work and have been stymied in, in the course of our work by this thing that we can do nothing about. And it's driving us mad as well. And so it's driving them mad. And we're sorry about that, but it's driving us mad. And they kind of suddenly they see, it's like they can see the people behind the product. They can see little faces poking out from around the error message. And they understand that it's a two-way exchange. And it's moments like that where I feel like Slack, stops feeling like a, a piece of software being imposed upon your team and starts feeling like another member of your team like it's, ah, there you go yeah it's um it, it because it feels like a real person and you can hear the real people in there and so it becomes this magical two-way empathy exchange yeah that um that allows you to have that real human interaction it's a, just a, it's a very slight human interaction um but it's it's there it's made by people, and there are people who are like me. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they're people who are experiencing the same feelings as I'm feeling right now. <laughs> right. So it's, I mean, I think, like, I wish, not that I wish for errors, but I wish we could find, like, another another one of that, because now that's a, I can't remember what, what the problem is particularly that means that one's dying out, but it is... Um, and I kind of wish for an error message or something that we could that would have the same effect. Uh, but it needs to be that perfect storm of, you know, something that we actually can't do anything about, as well as something that is easily easily fixable by them in a couple of minutes. So isn't right. actually going to kill anything. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it it that is yeah. That's one of my that's always been one of my keys in mm. in trying to, to get people to understand what we're going for. And this one has has just a little hint of Monty Python as well, don't you think? Yes, yeah, that's Eric that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> as Slack is growing, you must be facing localization challenges now, translating to other languages, things like that. Mm -hmm. Have you gone down that path? And how difficult <laughs> is that, trying to maintain this kind of voice in in other cultures? We are going down. It's, um, we're just in the process of... of you know, starting that and it, it's been the, the challenge and thing that I've been most terrified and excited about for the last year, I think. I mean, so you've got the voice and you know where that comes from, empathy, courtesy, you know, craftsmanship or kind of looking into into how, how we make that. But then you've got the other half, which is the tone, which is knowing who you're speaking to and um, what they need to hear and what you need them to hear and kind of like what the appropriate level of tone or personality or seriousness or business likeness that you need. So when I think about tone, there's this kind of scale where slack is in the middle. And if you imagine it as kind of like a, a little cube, a, a sugar cube in the middle, that, that's the product itself. That's the mm -hmm. level of tone. And it's really quite small. If you then go to the help center, the help center is probably, you know, a four by four cube of, of, of sugar cubes. It's got a little bit more personality. It's kind of right. a little bit more um, informal. It Everything in the help center should not feel overly friendly or matey. It should feel like 
you're leaning over the, the shoulder of a colleague at work and explaining to them how something works. It's not, it's not that you're explaining it to mum, it's not you're explaining it to, you know, your best friend. You are explaining it just to someone that you like and respect in a professional situation. That's, you know, that, so that's a little bit more personality, a little bit more informality. Um, and then you kind of go up from there into, okay, so what do we sound like in marketing materials? Oh, marketing materials, we're, we're kind of maybe a, you know, and they're five by five cube. And then in, in, in blog posts, we're maybe a kind of, seven by seven cube and then you get up to twitter which is you know there we are probably the, mo the most bombastic or release notes you know that's that's a 10 by 10 cube and then twitter is like a 15 by 15 cube that's that's the kind of a huge a, a lot more tone a lot more personality a lot more playfulness so when you're approaching when we've been approaching um, and of course going back from the the product being in the middle there that that the little sugar cube you've just got a row of other sugar cubes that are like you know terms of service and uh white papers and marketing and and uh you know sales materials that need to be going to to people with no frills whatever so it's about measuring how much tone is required and how much tone is appropriate in those places yeah. so that's been a great relief in terms of translation is you know I've had a lot of conversation with our we have in-house translators um about you know whether they're we're going to pick you know the, the formal or informal you or whether it's possible to keep slackbot non-gendered in other languages that's a really interesting one because we're very careful about not giving slackbot a gender in English but in German or in French that becomes a lot more difficult right so those sorts of things are the gnarly bit. But actually, all this style guide work I've doing, been doing, all this kind of like, it comes from these characteristics. It comes in these kind of tones. It's got all these kind of rules. But I've, I've now put a page at the beginning of the style guide that just says, if you're worried about feeling, you know, sounding slacky, ask yourself if you're being clear, concise, and human. And if you're being clear, concise, and human, then you're fine. You're good. You're good to go. You know, we trust you. You know how to communicate. And if you're clear, concise and human, if you can look at everything you've written and ap apply those words to it, then we're good. Then you are sounding slacky because at the, you know, in the center of it, in the middle of that product, that's that's all we need to sound like. We just need to make sure that that's how we sound. So so I think with translation, that's really helped is just kind of hammering home that message of don't get bound up in the rules. Don't get bound up in the slack is this, but not that, and that, but not this, and and right. you know all these different things. Just, just ask yourself those questions, and if you feel good about what you've written, then I feel good about what you've written, probably, probably. Uh, well, you're doing great work. Thanks. I think it's. Um, I mean, my first experience with Slack, which I think you know most people have, is that Slackbot onboarding as mm. uh, the little robot takes you through. Uh, all the features of the and and then ask you a bunch of questions about yourself to get you set up is one of the best onboarding experiences I can remember and and that's also a magical key because that helps that helps people feel like they ha they feel conversational about the product that like they feel that it is yeah. you know they are able to accept a more conversational tone from the whole of our product and marketing at at once because they are um, that's how they were onboarded and that's been yeah. another interesting thing about. Um, translation is we're, we're kind of working up different scripts for different languages to mm -hmm. what are people's what are people's tolerance levels for um slackbot's tone in those different areas where can we find more about you anna picard at twitter yeah right. i used to have a website but that seems to be being squatted by someone so um oh. okay. i don't know maybe I'll, then... <laughs> I'll work that out it's just twitter at the moment basically okay. life's been a bit busy i should have a website again soon but you know 
It's uh, right now. I don't. Oh, ah, they're overrated. I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so okay. much for being on the show. It's, it's been a really good conversation. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Jeff. It's been really fun. Thank you so much. This has been Presentable, and I'm Jeff Fein. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you have feedback or comments or questions or anything, really, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on the web at relay.fm slash presentable or on Twitter at presentable FM. Thanks so much. Thank you.